I love hearing the choir sing, and I love singing the Christmas carols. I also love surprises. Usually, <laughs> not always, but usually. Um, I love a surprise snow on Christmas morning. I love a surprise gift. I love a gift that uh, my kids have made for me. You know, the kind that they are so excited about, and they give it to you, and you unwrap it, and you have to ask them what it is before you know what to be thankful for. But uh, um, I love surprising my wife when I get an opportunity to. She's getting to know me, so that's getting harder. But when I think about Christmas, I think God must love surprises, too. The whole event of Christmas is a tremendous surprise. You see, the nation of Israel was looking for a Messiah, But they expected a Messiah to come through the clouds, I suppose, or to come as a triumphant king with a huge army to defeat the Romans and take over. And and he came through the clouds. He came not just as a Messiah. They expected a man. But he came as God himself. God himself became one of us. That was the surprise a tremendous surprise at Christmas time. That God Himself burst through, created a crack between heaven and earth, and entered our world that He could become one of us and relate to us. What an incredible surprise that was. But perhaps even more than that was the surprise not that He came, that was tremendous, but how He came. You would expect him to be triumphant. If God were to show up, you would expect him to be a mighty king, marching in and taking over. He didn't come that way. And that's the tremendous surprise that God must have enjoyed so much with Christmas. J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, puts it this way. It is here in the thing that happened at the first Christmas that the profoundest and most unfathomable depths of the Christian revelation lie. The Word was made flesh. God became man. The Divine Son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. And there was no illusion or deception in this. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the Incarnation. You see, it's a tremendous surprise because we don't expect God to come in that way. And if God would appear in a tiny baby there is no way to predict where he'll show up next or how he might invade our lives, how he might surprise us with his presence. We want to kind of put God in a box. We want to be able to understand him and control him and say, okay, now I've got a handle on God and how he will approach me and how he'll come into my life. But I picture dealing with God very much like getting a package in the mail at Christmas time and you open it up and all you see are all those little styrofoam peanut things, packing material, and you think, well, this time I'm going to get the present out and leave all the packing material in. 
You can't do it. There's no way. It ends up all over the place, and, and for weeks you're finding it under the couch and behind chairs and all over the place. You see, God just can't be contained. Once you open him up and start dealing with him, he spills out all over, and you just can't control or contain him anymore. Dealing with God has been kind of like for me, and maybe you can identify with this. Uh, I identify with the money changers in the temple. And you're there, and I have my table all set up. And on this side, I've got the money kind of neatly stacked, and I've got a little pile here for tithing for God. This is his part, and it's all divided out for him. And over here, I've got my good religious things. I've got my doves and pigeons, and I've got lambs by the table, and everything's in place. Everything's where it needs to be. I'm all set. And Jesus walks in. Now, I expect Jesus to come over and look over my table and wow, you've been doing good work. You've sure been working hard. And to say, well, but why don't you put a few more coins in the tithing pile? And I'm not sure about this dove over here. Why don't you do some, you know, why don't you replace that? And But he doesn't do that. Jesus walks in and he overturns the whole thing. And he surprises us. He's unpredictable. We don't know what he's going to do. And therefore, we're caught off guard He specializes in catching us off guard. Like he did at Christmas. He came in a way we would have never expected. You see, if God will come as a tiny baby, there's no telling what he'll do in his wild pursuit of us. He longs for us so much. He'll do anything to reach our hearts and to bring us into a loving, dependent relationship with him. He's unpredictable. He's a surprise. I have a good friend who, for months now, we've been praying about a work situation. She has a co-worker that has been very difficult to get along with. And as we've prayed and prayed and asked God to work, finally it got to a place about a week ago where she said, I can't handle this anymore. I'm going to have to quit. The tension's too great. It's not being resolved. I tried everything. So I'm going to have to leave. And she said that on a Thursday. On Saturday, she had Friday off. On Saturday, she went into work. Her co-worker came up to her and said, I just want to tell you I'm sorry. I had a dream night before last. A dream that you had died. And as I thought about it in, in this dream, I realized all the ways I had wronged you. And I felt terrible regret that you were gone and I had no way to apologize to you. And I'm so thankful you're here. And I just want to apologize for everything I've done. Who would predict that God would intervene that way? I wouldn't have. My friend didn't. But see, God is a God of surprises. He's a God who loves to intervene in our lives in ways that catch us off guard. Christmas is the ultimate surprise. You see, if God would appear as a tiny baby, God himself, there's no way you can contain him in a nice little creed in a nice little box that says, okay, now I've got figured out. I've got God figured out. I've got him in place. I understand him now. But God is the ultimate surprise, not just for the universe, but it all narrows down on Mary. I like the way C.S. Lewis put it. The whole thing narrows and narrows until at last it comes down to a little point, small as the point of of a spear, a Jewish girl at her prayers. You see, that Christmas, 
event of Mary giving birth, of Mary having the Son of God, she experienced perhaps the heights of surprise from God. And I want to look at Mary and how she was surprised in her response to that. Because as we do so, it's, it's wonderful to retell the story, but I think we will also learn much about how we can respond to God when he surprises us, when he catches us off guard, when he spills out all over. So turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 1. So we look at the surprise of God. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, if you have your Bibles. Luke writes, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. This is our introduction to Mary, and I want you to note carefully how she's introduced. It says, The angel came and was sent from God to not a person. We don't begin with her, we begin with her hometown. Nazareth. Now you need to realize what Nazareth was. Nazareth was just not an everyday town. You see, the southern part of the nation of Israel looked down and despised Galilee, the whole area of Galilee. But the Galileans looked down on Nazareth. Nazareth was seen as the armpit, essentially, of Galilee. Remember what happened when uh, Nathanael was brought to Jesus and, and was told that this prophet had come out of Nazareth? And his words were, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So first of all, the first thing we learn about Mary is that she's from this podunk little town that's despised by everyone. Then we find out she's a virgin. Well, there were many virgins, young girls. She was probably 13 or 14 years old, waiting to be married. Very young girl. Uh, There are many in Israel. She's engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. We find out her fiancé's name before we even find out her name. Then finally it said, and the virgin's name was Mary. Probably the most common name in Israel in that time. There were probably a thousand Marys in the nation of Israel who were virgins waiting to be married. You see, all that Luke is saying here points to the idea that Mary was nobody special. She was an obscure peasant girl. We find out later that she was very poor, probably illiterate, couldn't read, couldn't write. Nothing special about her. And yet she's the one that God chose to come to. What a beautiful message that is for us as we think of Christmas. Some of you today are feeling like, how could God possibly use me? There's nothing special about me. Gee, I don't have a great education, I haven't been to seminary, or I haven't learned, I don't know the Bible that well, or I've failed too many times. There's nothing special about me. How could God use me? Well, the message of Mary is that God can use anyone to accomplish his wonderful tasks, if we'll only be available. So I hope you'll be encouraged that God can use you. He can use any one of us. God delights in choosing the obscure, like David, David was just the youngest son. No one expected him to be the one that would be anointed king. Like the disciples, who, in gathering a group to change the world, would have chosen the 12 disciples? 
Only God. Only God. Who would choose us to be the ones that He would change the world with and impact our society and carry Christ to those around us? Only He would. That's the surprise of God. He delights in surprising us. She's unexpected, and this greeting is interesting. Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. That greeting, though Mary was illiterate, she apparently knew the Old Testament well, as we see in her song, that she, her hymn, that she gives a little later. But this greeting is only given three other times in the Scripture that I could find. It's given from an angel to Gideon when he wants Gideon to take on the whole Midianite nation. It's given to David by the prophet Nathan where he says, David, the Lord is with you as you seek to serve him. And it was given by the prophet Micaiah to the king Asa when he was going to cleanse the land. You see, this was a special mark that God has something special for you to do. And I think Mary understood that because notice her response. Verse 29, but she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. Notice what it says. It doesn't say she was greatly troubled at seeing an angel. I would have been surprised, believe me, if an angel appeared. But that's not what she was surprised at, what she was confused about, what she was stirred up about. So she was stirred up at this statement, that God would favor her, that God would choose her. And it says she kept pondering, kept pondering, kept wondering, what did this mean? What's it all about? I would have liked to have heard her thoughts. Was she thinking, God, what, does this mean that uh, I'm going to win the lottery? Uh, probably not. Does it mean I'm going to have many kids, that my husband will love me? You see, for her as a peasant woman in Israel, probably the greatest hope she would have as a woman is that she'd have a husband that loves her, have a number of children, and uh, have a good reputation in the community, probably. That's probably the most she could hope for. Her response is confusion. She's stunned. She's troubled. She's afraid that God would pour His grace on her. She was surprised by His grace. You see, that's the great surprise of Christmas and the great surprise of the Gospel, that God would choose us when we don't deserve it, that he would choose us to be his people, to be part of his kingdom. If God will favor us, anything is possible. I think Mary must have felt, me, I'm just an obscure peasant woman, God. Are you sure you have the right one? <laughs> Listen, uh, this address is 141 Mazel Tov Drive. Uh, I think uh, you may want the person down the street. No, it's you, Mary. No, it's you, and you, and you that God has chosen to love, to pour His love on. God delights in choosing us. God delights in pouring His grace on us and in surprising us with His grace. As a new believer, as I was uh, learning to walk with God, the way I approached my Christianity was, well, if I work hard and do the right thing, that God will bless me. And it seemed to work. I had God in this nice little box, and it, it seemed to work for a while. I do the right thing, He blesses me. I do the right thing, He blesses me. And then all of a sudden, after a while, it quit working. 
And I became confused and struggled and said, God, what is going on here? How come it's not working? I, I, I don't understand. I'm trying to do the right thing. And, and you're just not coming through like I thought you should, like, like I understood that you would. You see, God is unexpected. He, he comes to us in ways that we don't expect. So I finally reached a point where I'd gone through about a year of real struggle personally in my walk with God. And uh, I finally reached a point of saying, God, if this is Christianity, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I give up. I quit. Two days later, I was working in the summer as a firefighter, driving a pumper truck down the highway. And a semi was coming the other way, and the driver fell asleep, swerved into my lane, just missed hitting his head on by a couple of inches and smashed into the side of the truck and did major damage. And fortunately, no one was seriously hurt. But God began to open my eyes to how he works and began to, to speak to me through that, to say, I'm in control. My hand is upon you. Quit working so hard to make it all happen. You see, God surprised me with his grace. I thought I had to do it right to receive his grace. And what he showed me is that wasn't true. His grace is a gift. It can't be earned. It's free. That's what Mary learned that day. That God loves us. And we don't need to earn it. We need to be surprised by his grace. And and that's what Christmas says, is that God, God loves us. His grace is great towards us. Then the message... Let me read 30 through uh, 33. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Mary, you are going to bear the Son of God himself. And Mary ponders this and considers this and thinks about this. And then her response in verse 34 is, Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? You see, he just said this dramatic thing. Mary, the Son of God is going to be born in your womb. You're going to carry him. And all she can think of is, How am I going to have a baby I'm still a virgin. She isn't questioning that it could happen. She doesn't understand all all that's going on and all that's going to occur from this. But she just thinks, how can I have a baby? She doesn't question if it'll happen. She questions how it might be able to happen. How could this happen? You see, when God comes to you and surprises you, it's often confusing. We often don't understand what he's doing. I think the story of Mary shows us that it's okay to not understand. It's okay to question. It's okay to struggle when God surprises you in ways that were unexpected. We tend to feel guilty for questioning, but it's okay. It's okay. It's part of God's process. I remember when we had three children and... uh, We'd thought about having a fourth. We'd wrestled and prayed about it. And then the doctor told us that a fourth pregnancy would be high risk. And as Jeannie and I thought and prayed, we finally felt content that that God wants us to have three. 
And we'll be content with that, and we'll rest in you, Lord, and uh, you're in charge. So we, we were finally content, and we decided that uh, the wise thing to do would be do something permanent. So I went and went had my minor surgery and came back. A week later, Jeannie said, uh, I think uh, something's going on. <laughs> Christmas Day, when she said that, the next day, five years ago, the next day, December 26th, we got one of those home tests and found out, yes, she was pregnant. And then began all the questioning and the wrestling. God, what are you doing here? We prayed and we, we felt like we were seeking you, God, and now you've overturned the table again. And now we've got to wrestle again with, with the whole concept of now we've, we've got to deal with the fear of having a, a high-risk pregnancy. Who knows what could happen? But see, God's in charge, and he loves to surprise us. And now we have a wonderful, wonderful little boy that we're so thankful for. What a wonderful gift. It's okay to question. It's okay to struggle. You see, that's part of the process. Then I really like the way the angel answers her question here in verse 35 through 37. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. Behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. To me, this, I don't know about you, but it strikes me as kind of humorous. It's as though he's searching for words to explain what's about to happen. Uh, he came with his prepared speech, that he already gave in the earlier verses. And then she asks a question, and he's there saying, uh, Lord, this isn't in my script. Uh, what am I supposed to... How do I explain this? Okay, I'll try. And he says, well, uh, okay, Mary, the Holy Spirit will uh, will uh, surprise you. That's really what the word means. He'll, he'll surprise you. He'll uh, come upon you. Um, well, the, pow- the power of the Most High, Mary, will will overshadow you. You know, none of this really says what's happening. Finally, he says, listen, the kid's going to be God's son, all right? (laughs) That's how it's going to work out. So just trust me, all right? (laughs) But I love her response in verse 38. And Mary said, behold, the bond slave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary submits. But notice very carefully that she doesn't just submit to what's about to happen. She submits first to God. Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. I'm submitting to you first, Lord. I don't understand all that you're doing. I will submit to that. Let it be to me as you've said. But I'm submitting first to you. I think that's very, very significant when God surprises us. Because we don't understand. And if we try to submit to the circumstances without submitting first to God, we'll wrestle with it and be confused, be caught off guard. But if we submit to Him, He is our one anchor that we can always cling to. He's our rock. Otherwise, it's like you're the ship and you lower your anchor, but you're trying to anchor into the currents and the waves below. Because that's what circumstances are like, and they toss you back and forth, and there's no security in that. 
He says, rather, we need to put our anchor down all the way to the rock, to Jesus. Submit to Him first. And then whatever comes your way, and if He surprises you with something new, you have a place to be secure and a place to hang on to. That's what Mary did. I have two pastor friends that come to mind. Both of them got into the ministry excited about it, feeling like God had called them, moving ahead in the ministry, and then difficult things began to happen. Both of their ministries fell apart. Both of them struggled with that and eventually left the ministry because of it. The first one is still devastated years later, still struggling with, what happened? I I, I thought I was doing what you called me to do, God, and it's all falling apart. Still devastated. The other has moved into a secular job and is serving the Lord and is excited about how God is using him in a new place. What's the difference? Well, I think the first one was submitting to the circumstances, but not to God first. The second submits to God, so no matter what happens, he has security in the midst of the struggles and storms and surprises of life. I think of Joseph in the Old Testament who was thrown in a well, sold to traitors, ended up in jail in Egypt. But at the end of his life, he could say to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. See, if we submit to him first, then we can have peace in the midst of the circumstances. But I think it's important to think about what is Mary submitting to here? I mean, is Mary... Is this something exciting for her? Well, in some sense, God's moved into her life. God has surprised her, and she will bear God's son. But think with me for a moment about what else she's really submitting to. First of all, according to the law, said if anyone could be accused of adultery, if it could be proven in any way, that they should be stoned, they should be put to death. At the very least, it's a terrible scandal and a terrible disgrace for someone to become pregnant outside of marriage. Secondly, she's submitting to rejection by her community. Now today, teenage girls who get pregnant experience a certain amount of disgrace. Well, multiply that by hundreds of times and you'll understand a bit of what Mary experienced. In a tight-knit little Jewish community, To be marked with the mark that you had a child outside of marriage was a terrible disgrace. That's what Mary's submitting to. Not only that, but she's submitting to rejection by her own fiancé. Remember how Joseph responded? It's told in the story in Matthew when she told him that she was pregnant and it would be by God. He didn't believe her. He was a righteous man, it says, so he decided to put her away quietly. But he didn't believe her. God had to get his attention and say, Joseph, here's an angel. It is from me. Believe your wife. But in the meantime, it was a difficult thing for her. She was submitting to raising a a son who would always be a disgrace in the community. Philip Yancey put it this way. Nine months of awkward explanations, the lingering scent of scandal, 
It seems almost as if God arranged the most humiliating circumstances possible for his entrance, as if to avoid any accusation of favoritism. I am impressed that when the Son of God became a human being, he played by the rules, harsh rules. Small towns do not treat kindly young boys who grow up with questionable paternity. Not only all this, a life of suspicion and scandal and disgrace, but Mary was also submitting, I believe, to a certain amount of isolation from her own son. Think about realizing that your son you're raising is the son of God himself. How do you raise the Son of God? There aren't too many uh, parenting manuals out there telling you how to do it. (laughs) You know, uh, Parenting the Perfect Kid, that wouldn't be a very popular book in our day and age. There are no perfect kids. How to Discipline the Son of God? No, I don't think so. Uh, I was thinking perhaps something along the lines of the strong-willed child. That might work. Um, But later on, you see, Jesus was a child that Mary never really understood. Remember the story of going into the temple when he was 12 years old and they went and worshipped and they left and she couldn't find him anywhere. They finally went back and found him there in the temple and he said, didn't you know I would be in my father's house? They didn't understand. She questioned that. She pondered that. Even later, as he began his ministry, we're told in Mark chapter 3 that Mary and the other brothers of Jesus came as he began his ministry and tried to talk him into coming home because they thought he was out of his senses. You see, Mary never really understood her son. So she's submitting to an isolation even from him, an isolation from her community, from her family, from her own son in some ways, to becoming a scandal and a public disgrace. Would you and I do that? I don't know. I don't know. But God calls us at times to submit to things that we don't understand, that don't make sense to us, that are difficult, because he has a far greater purpose than we can even imagine. And that's part of the Christmas story, that God does things we don't understand, but we can submit to him and trust him as a faithful, loving Lord that has chosen us. The story goes on. Mary went to visit her, visit Elizabeth to uh, kind of check this out and and uh, see what was happening, follow through on the angel's words. And then in verse 46 through 55, she gives her song of praise, a wonderful hymn. And I want to read this to you and point out three things after I read it that Mary discusses here in this song that she learned in the surprise that God gave her. Verse 46, And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. And holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel as servant in remembrance of his mercy 
as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring, forever. The first truth that Mary shares in this song that she has learned through the surprise intervention of God is in verse 46 through 50, where she said she has learned that God loves her. You see, we can know a lot of creeds about how God is a loving God, for God so loved the world. Isn't that wonderful? But somehow, at some point, you have to be surprised by His grace in a way that you learn that God loves you when you don't deserve it. That God is for you. That He wants to use you. That He looks upon you with favor. That's the first marvelous truth that Mary has learned and she shares. The second truth comes in verses 51 through 53. As she describes his mighty arm, how he's taken the proud and overturned them, how he's exalted the poor and the humble, what has she learned? That God is a God of surprises. (laughs) That God's unpredictable, that he does the unexpected. It's important we learn that about God, that we don't try to put him in a little box, but we submit to him and whatever he gives us. Mary's learned a tremendous truth that God does what we don't expect. He chose her. He came, God himself, to grow in her womb and begin to develop and be born as a tiny little baby. God does the unexpected. But thirdly, and along with that, and this is important, in verse 54 and 55, she refers to Israel and the promises of God And she has learned that God is faithful. It's been 400 years. God promised to to bring a Messiah. God promised to reach his people and redeem them and be a savior. But it had been 400 years of silence. But now he's intervened and she has learned that he is faithful. He keeps his promises. God loves me God can't be boxed. He's full of surprises, but he's faithful. So I can trust him in the midst of the turmoil. See, those three truths are the truths that are reflected in the whole story of Christmas. God came because he loves us. He loves me. He's surprising, but he's faithful so we can trust him. I want to look at one last verse as we close. Over in chapter 2, verse 19. The shepherds have come. The angels have broken through in the heavens to the shepherds and sung their song, Glory to God in the highest. The shepherds are stunned and surprised. Talk about surprise. (laughs) And so they come to see this little baby in a manger. It kind of strikes me, it strikes me that Mary didn't hear the angels. All she was doing was trying to take care of her new baby son. No more drama for her, it was just being a mother now. And that shepherds come and tell the story and then as they're ready to go, it says, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. We began with Mary confused, what does this mean? And pondering God's intervention in her life. 
we end with her pondering again. But the word for pondering here is one that means you're trying to fit all the pieces together. You're trying to fit it together and you can't quite do it. You don't really understand all that's happening. You see, we, we end with Mary still kind of confused, still wondering, treasuring these things, but confused about what God was doing through this whole thing. Though she's confused, she's still submitting. And as we saw in her song, her wonderful song, she's worshiping. God disrupts our lives in all kinds of ways, and He rarely explains it all. And when He does explain it, like He did to Mary, we don't understand it often. We don't know what He's doing in the whole process. It may seem sometimes to submit to what he's doing like suicide, like it must have seemed for Mary to give up everything she'd longed for to submit to God. But as we submit to him, as Mary did, even in our confusion, God's freed up to use us, to do dramatic things in us. I have a couple who are friends of mine that... uh, recently decided to follow the Lord. They prayed about it. They decided to help start a church. So they stepped out to begin this ministry and be involved in the leadership, begin serving to give their time and energy to that. Then they discovered that the wife has a mysterious disease that the doctors can't find, but it saps her energy. She's weak. They don't know what it is. And they're pondering that and wondering that and confused by that. God, we stepped out to follow you. What are you doing? And I don't know what God's doing in all that. I don't know what God's doing in your life. But my friends are learning to submit and learning to worship God as the God who loves them. So as we consider this Christmas season and we look at the message of Christmas as you spend this next week, preparing to celebrate it. Let's remember the message of Mary and the story of Mary, that God loves me, (laughs) that God loves you, that God is a God of surprises. We can't contain him in a little box, but he is utterly and completely faithful to us. He's faithful to use weak, earthly vessels like us to accomplish wonderful tasks, vessels like Mary. And let me encourage you as you think this through and wrestle with it, that you do ponder these things, that you submit to him and that you worship. Worship him as the God who loves you and who came because he was pursuing you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this Christmas season. I thank you that you love us enough to pursue us in ways we could never imagine. You intervene and you surprise us. Lord, give us hearts like Mary that are humble enough to submit, perhaps submitting to humiliation, difficulty, struggle, but submitting to you because you are a God who loves us and who is faithful. We thank you for this season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.